Well, hello, welcome to Passive Wealth for High Tech Minds podcast. There are lots and lots of IT professionals who work in the industry. These IT jobs are so exhausting mentally. There isn't much time left for such folks to make clever decisions about their investments. Most are unable to put their money in the right asset classes. This is Prashant Kumar from IDLT Gains. I have worked in corporate America in IT and in business organizations for 25 years. My goal is to educate IT professionals like you about the benefits of passive investing. I will be passing my knowledge and will bring guests who have done very well in their careers and can explain the process and advantages of passive investing. So, let's begin. Well, hello, hello. This is Prashant Kumar from My Real Gains. Today, you are listening to yet another podcast episode for Passive Wealth for High Tech Minds. Today, I have with me my great friend, Stefan, and I can't even dare to pronounce his last name, <laughs> but I know Stefan for a long time. Stefan, well, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Prashant. I am going to formally introduce Stefan, and then we will jump into question and answers. Stefan is the founder of Realty Quan, Realty Quant company, the company that brings data-driven and quantitative techniques to the real estate industry. He's on a mission to add industry value through education, investment, technology, and analytics. He's a financial engineer. He turned into multifamily investor, analytics speaker, and a live webinar host. He holds a master's degree in financial engineering from Columbia University. And during his finance career, he managed $90 billion worth of derivative portfolio jointly with his colleagues. He has been featured on multiple podcasts and webinars, uh, events including Elevate, Best Ever Real Estate Show, Investing in US, etc. Stefan is from um, Bulgaria. He's the host of Finance Meets Real Estate webinar series. Uh, and, you know, he, he works very hard. He goes around and he talks to a lot of investors. Uh, I have talked to him many, many times on many webinars. Stephen, once again, welcome to, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Prashant. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, you bring you bring great perspectives, Stephen. You, you know, you have a, a great uh, background, you know, data-driven background. Um, and we wouldn't go too much into the technical details because the purpose of our show is to give value to a lot of high-tech minds who do not have time for themselves, uh, you know, who work 12, 15 hours a day at their job. And after that, they just want to go get back home and for, I mean, and, and then invest passively, potentially, like in the stock market. The stock market is a passive investment. But there are real estate investments out there, you know, which are much more lucrative than the stock market. We wanted to understand, you know, get your perspective. You know, what do you, what do you say to these people? Yeah. Um, so, and I completely understand like this, uh, this perspective myself, you know, coming as a finance professional before and having invested passively in uh, like, you know, various, various types of asset classes. Right. And um, yeah, so, well, I, I want to say like one thing I've done, at least at my company, Realty Quant is um, like some work on picking markets. So that is a very interesting question. And um, so what I want to say is like at the current time of, um, let's see, people having concerns about the recession and so forth, I want to give a positive perspective of 
um, being able as passive investors to actually continue investing and do it comfortably and be, um, you know, not, you know, overly worried and, and so forth. And some of the, some of the approach to that revolves around downside risk. And I discussed that topic extensively before, um, including with you, Prashant. And so downside risk is really the concept there is uh, real estate is a fundamental asset. So real estate is roughly speaking. So it's something comparative to if you have in the stock market, utilities companies or things like that, like sort of value, value stocks or like companies that are like relatively easy to understand their future earnings and relatively easy to understand their, their pricing, you know, in comparison to something like Tesla, let's say, you know, just for like high tech people, Mm -hmm. you know, like Tesla is something very hard to value, you know, where should the Tesla stock price be? But if we have something like, the stock market in San Francisco or in Atlanta, Georgia, or in um, different markets across the U.S., it is, in my opinion, and that's something I've been trying to like um, kind of influence others on, is, in my opinion, relatively easy to understand where it should be valued, like based on its uh, fundamentals of income population and housing supply. And so that then gives you, a, once you know this, what they call market valuation, that then gives you perspective as a passive um, investor to actually uh, pick markets where you know they're not overvalued. So and where you're not comfort where, and where, um, you know, under any market cycle um, that is impending, that is change, change of market cycle, cycle that could be happening, you would be comfortable that, okay, your real estate is not going to lose value. Since real estate has a different downside risk profile than stocks. We can get into that more, but it's really a um, different downside risk profile in the first place, such as it doesn't, it's stickier on the downside, so to say. Um, and so whenever you're in like not overvalued markets, even if you have triggers, like some of the current triggers in terms of higher interest rates, um, you know, reduction in um, future home sales and so forth, those triggers, they do not adjust in pricing so much um, in the event of like under to fairly valued real estate. And so this is like some of the perspective I can speak to like some markets um, that um, no, I, I think is good for that. Yeah, we would like to hear your perspective, definitely. What I'm hearing you are saying is because real estate is a fundamental market, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a place to live. It's Mm -hmm. not like a volatile stock market. Um, You know, location doesn't matter in the stock market, but in real estate, location matters a lot. And Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you is uh, you are saying that, you know, if you are in San Francisco or in Atlanta, every market has its different characteristics and you have different data points. And mm-hmm. and some of the global data points like increase in interest rate does not affect some markets while it may affect other markets more uh, depending on the strength of any individual market. Did I say it correctly? Um, uh, yes. And I would say dependent on not so much the, the upside strength of that market mm-hmm. as much as like where is it currently standing in its like profile, valuation profile. Where mm-hmm. So for example, like, so if you have a, you have a market that's overvalued by 20%. Now, okay, obviously that has like some downside risk in the event interest rates go up and uh, in the event, um, you know, home sales reduce and so forth. If on the contrary, you're in a market, like many markets in the Midwest and Northeast um, right now, and let's say it's a market that's 5% undervalued, it's very statistically unlikely that that's going to be the case. Even if interest rates increase, it's more like your prices, versus the price are going to stay the same. So that's kind of the dynamic that I've been seeing based on looking at the data, looking at the history, um, and that. point. I think that's a, that's a very important point that not all the markets can uh, get the same uh, variation in the home sale prices. Um, mm. 
I mean, it all depends on the strength where where the market is standing today. If the market is too high, then maybe there is a del- there's a chance of larger yeah. delta. If market is you know right very at a very strong base, then the chance of the delta is is very low. Exactly, exactly, and um, um, yeah, exactly, and that's something that uh, I do. at my company, Reality Quant, actually is providing market data for that. You know, in the event, and not like pitching <laughs> anything here, but in the event, like sort of like providing market data to sort of give an intuition for like different valuation in different markets and appreciation potential. Appreciation potential is another interesting thing, and uh, that's also applicable to to a passive investor. I would say because. If you think about how we pick markets right now, so we would look at, let's say, population growth, job growth, um, you know, income growth, and, um, you know, all those different variables, fundamental variables. And we pick those variables and then we say, okay, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina is a great market because it's better in those variables than those other ones. Um, but it's uh, in itself, it's not a super data-driven approach like that because you're kind of like taking like those few data points and we don't look at it, let's say, across the U.S. for like every single market or county and compare that well mm-hmm. and also the other thing is so i did a study where i tried to forecast uh prices appreciation based based on first forecasting those fundamentals forecasting population growth income growth housing supply growth and then off that to forecast the prices and i found that i had like a seven percent error i had like a five that was like five times bigger than how they forecasted just prices themselves and that's very interesting, I feel like, to a, to a passive investor, because suppose that they're picking like a syndicator to invest in, they can go to, um, they can, in, in different markets, let's say that they're working in different markets, and they can go to, to a market that, um, well, they can simply look at the price history of those markets. And chances are, and it kind of may sound like uh, strange, but chances are they're going to do a better selection unless we're really early in the market cycle like 2011, 2012, then they would need the fundamentals themselves. But if we're deeper into the market cycle, it's chances they would have predicted forecasted appreciation way better to perhaps a five times better error rate if you do it in an actual technical way uh, by just uh, pulling the prices, just like looking at, okay, has the price performed well? If yes, then yeah, then there's like pretty high momentum and just like looking at the price charts, basically, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's really looking at the price charts themselves by running, doing a study like this gave like um, five times more error than looking at the fundamentals and then predicting the prices of that. So it's quite interesting. So that's one thing that I feel is like very useful, applicable, and um, it depends on the market. Some markets have more momentum. So markets in Florida and Texas, they have very high, well, I would say Florida and Massachusetts even, by the way, interestingly, they have very high momentum, like, um, and momentum can be t- tested in different ways, like auto correlation is one, like, what's the correlation of this year versus last year prices? And, um, and so the auto correlation there in Florida and Massachusetts is like close to n- nearing 80%, which is very high. Mm-hmm. So in markets like that, um, simply uh, pooling, Picking like whichever cities have performed very well and looking at historical prices, even though it's if historical prices are not predictors of the future, but if you have autocorrelation, they are. And so that's kind of like more the more accurate approach. I was actually able to forecast like 2018 and 2019 uh, price appreciation by state, let's say, just as an example, mm-hmm. within like 1.4% error by yeah. Yeah. based on 45 year histories so it's quite interesting so it's actually very accurate but when they went the route of population and income 
and housing supply had a 7% there, which is big. I mean, 7% is... There's great. a big... Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, it's a very interesting perspective. So if they want to pick like the best appreciating markets, if they went, let's say in Phoenix, Arizona, or, um, you know, those like very booming, like Western markets, like Phoenix and Austin and so forth. And how did, how are they, how did they know already the case that they appreciated, you know, chances are that, you know, in the past couple of years, you know, chances are that that trend is going to continue. Now, of course, that's a dependent on like, let's say if we were to have a, perhaps a recession or like other kind of triggers or a change in the market cycle and then that could reverse but under the same market cycle like pretty strong momentum and like very much a picking appreciation of that that by the way holds even for overvalued markets so even if they're overvalued so the same appreciation predictors are the strongest ones it's very interesting uh it's just the simultaneously those markets then carry downside risk um whenever the market cycle ends at some point um, in the future let's say uncertain one mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice explanation, Stefan. I mean, what you explained. Uh, and obviously, it resonates to what you are doing right now. I mean, you are able to predict the markets to market, you know, appreciation up to the level of 1, 1.5% error um, based, on, based on 45 years worth of data, which is incredible. Um, um, is there a place where, uh, I mean, do you ever publish any study or a paper where uh, some of the see a lot of things what you are doing a lot of us can learn but obviously not everybody has time to learn uh, mm-hmm. so people want to see do you have a place where you can uh, if it is posted can somebody review that data is, is that is is that something yes. um yes well the data is uh, so it's at rioticon.com it's mm-hmm. at my website um and uh, actually, with the current update, current quarters update of that data, I'm adding like all those forecasting, like appreciation forecasting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so they they would they would be able to see the realtyquant.com. Got it, got it. Okay, so so basically, guys, you heard it, realtyquant.com, r-e-l-t-y-q-u-a-n-t.com. That's where Stefan publishes a lot of data. Uh, again, from. From a passive investment standpoint, if you are a passive investor, you may want to just check out the place and see which markets you want to invest in, right? I mean, and then look for the operators, you know, who are doing some business in that those markets and potentially invest with them. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the purpose of today's webinar is to discuss about the benefits of passive investing. I know, Stephen, we were talking earlier and you had some good points uh, regarding depreciation and stuff like that. Uh, do you want to elaborate on some of them? Well, um, I mean, depreciation, yeah. yeah. So naturally, yes, real estate investing, um, you know, as you personally know well, is like extremely tax efficient. Um, as far as, uh, well, generally, if you have, let's say, cash flow in terms of like cap rate, interest rate spread, call it, and then you have, we have a given cash flow of a property and you're able to, generally erase like a lot of the the let's say the tax that you would have on that cash flow you know with depreciation so that's a significant benefit but then from there it comes to like those various more advanced techniques like cost segregation um, and so forth and now yes so it's definitely important for for passive investors to look for sponsors who are um, perhaps doing cost segregation studies on their project i'm actually doing a cost segregation study on a um on a joint venture project I'm doing right now. And we just went on and we are doing like cost segregation study just to essentially, you know, like have like significant 
deduction on, on our taxes, like the same year. Um, so that's, I mean, that applies, it has like a bigger, like even bigger impact on like real estate professional status and, and so forth. But overall, like the, I would say it's very important to, to not only speak to your CPA, but speak to like more advanced tax professionals, like, you know, even like Brett Swartz and people like that who do like even deferred, um, deferred sales trust is a great benefit for passive investors that applies to real estate, it applies to stocks, it applies to cryptocurrencies in the event you have a big enough position that you want to sell. And that's something I actually recommended to a friend of mine who works at Google, you know, where, okay, you know, one can do a DST even on a, on a stock sale, you know, that is, let's say, of a, of a significant uh, value. So that is, uh, so those are like very big tax benefits. Now from there, like for, I would say those are some that apply to more the passive side. And um, I wanted to briefly mention Prashant actually on what I think like people should, where, which markets maybe people should invest in when they pick sponsors to it, if that's we, okay. We yeah. have we have all the years. That's why you are here for Stefan. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's very interesting right now. Because like, you know, like people are concerned about the recession. So it's very interesting. So the, the one interesting thing is if we take like, the big picture across countries. So there is the thing that is called the scans economies. So the scans economies, those are the, they're small, um, open economies that are commodity exporters, uh, that have independent central banks where their central banks cut interest rates during the 2014, 2016 commodity crunch. Those are, uh, Sweden, Canada, Australia, Norway, and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So those countries, they're like in very different geographies, but they share those same components and they happen to have very overvalued real estate. So that's like to some, like I did a podcast in Canada, actually, and like people there, you know, are really concerned, okay, you know, like Canada real estate is very expensive, right? And um, as some of you may have heard, and, and so those, all those countries, they do share this trait of having very overvalued real estate compared to their fundamentals. It's a function of central bank policies of cutting rates very well. So they're like very much, I would say, um, you know, comparatively at risk um, in the event of like other like macroeconomic drivers changing right now, such as the yield curve inversion um, that happened and consumer sentiment dropping sort of this kind of recession um, triggers. Now, recession doesn't of always, is not always paired with real estate drop, by the way, just can't count people down. In fact, most of the times it's not, like more often it's, there's no real estate drop during a recession, but it's, um, but it's still like an interesting consideration. So the scans economies is one thing to watch. Uh, so Canada and uh, Australia and so forth. Now in the U.S., which are like some of the markets that are more at risk. So the first one to watch, and I've spoken on this about, uh, before, is Idaho. So Idaho is, um, well, in multiple sources between Florida Atlantic University, Moody's Analytics study, my own study that I have at Realty Quant, and perhaps the fourth one, I'm not remembering the name, the most overvalued city in the US, uh, this market cycle is Boise in Idaho. And that's like based on fundamentals of income, usually only income, but my study is income population housing supply. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so Idaho is the one market to be a little bit cautious about, I would say. And then like some of the West, some Western markets, uh, well, some states like Nevada and, um, Arizona and, um, Utah are a little bit have moved also higher. Um, and there's like some increased valuations with inflation in Florida and Texas, not to super concerning levels, but relatively speaking. But then investing in the Midwest is Midwest broadly is very fairly valued. So states like Indiana and um, Ohio and Kentucky are still fairly valued. 
And mm-hmm. then the Northeast, where, okay, it's not so desirable due to various policies for the different um, sponsors of real estate, but uh, the Northeast is generally undervalued right now, um, you know, in terms of, so it's very low downside risk. And so, uh, so those are, that's like an interesting perspective. So more cautious in terms of a recession in places like Boise, Austin, um, Phoenix, some of the very booming markets. Uh, they will continue booming a lot, perhaps while we're in the same market cycle due to momentum, that's, as I mentioned earlier, but more cautious on the downside risk. And then much less in places like Louisville, Kentucky, um, and uh, in Indianapolis, um, I guess even like Pittsburgh and, you know, like markets like that in the Midwest and Northeast. I would not be too concerned there. I actually... Um, I had a meeting with this private equity fund and they adjusted their strategy to invest in, in ahead of like the prospects of a recession to invest in only uh, secondary and tertiary Midwest markets. And I thought it was very interesting because it's actually, okay, Midwest is fairly large. That's actually quite safe. If you're even in secondary and tertiary Midwest, you're going to be fine. This market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to passive investors, like that's kind of, my advice to, okay, I mean, depend on your risk tolerance. Like you can still invest in Phoenix. You can still invest in Phoenix. It's appreciating like projects have made a fortune in Phoenix right now, right? Um, so it's appreciating a lot. But just to be aware of like the simultaneous downside risk you have there. So just kind of based on your risk tolerance. Now you need to have the exact data, obviously. And like I said, priority1.com um, is one place for that. And you can look up like other you can look up some more general studies with Bloomberg Economics, Moody's Analytics, and um, and other you know other like bigger companies. Um, but um, but yes, just being aware of um, market valuation and being aware of downside risk in some of those western and a little bit southern markets. So that's the current situation. Like if you're in California, let's say, and you want to invest in California or buy a house in California or invest in a syndication in California, well, it's actually fair about it. If you're investing in San Francisco, it's underwater. Now that's due to its weak fundamentals as well, right? Because there's like all the issues with COVID and it went deeper undervalued with COVID. But, but in a way, assuming like, unless it drops on the fundamentals themselves, which is possible that actually happened in San Francisco, dropping on the access to fundamentals is not likely there. And so it's kind of... Um, it's an interesting, interesting perspective where, okay, people left California to invest in Nevada because it's cheap, but then now Nevada is expensive on relative terms and California is fairly valued on relative terms. So it's quite interesting. So California may be more expensive in absolute terms, but in relative, it's actually fairly valued and Nevada is expensive in relative. And so that's kind of like the, the consideration, I think, when picking a market that, um, you know, like some of the very trendy, very booming markets you know, I would perhaps stay away in the event of considering like yield curve inversion and that and um, just kind of perhaps invest with sponsors who are more inclined to, um, you know, like I mentioned, like markets like Louisville, Kentucky, Indianapolis and um, yeah, places like that. <laughs> awesome, Stefan. I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head saying, uh, giving the advice to the investors, uh, you know, that probably remain away from the momentum markets, you know, the markets which have had so much growth in, in the last couple of years, you know, Phoenix, be Austin, or, or you know, potentially uh, some of the other places yeah, like Nevada and all that, because we have had so much growth there. Uh, 
and and i mean their their bases are their variables for the base are not so strong if the cycle changes the direction so yeah. there are chances of them going down probably would be more compared yeah. to the markets which are more stable uh, like midwest secondary to tertiary market you know the equity firm that you they are even willing to invest into tertiary midwest markets yeah. which is mm-hmm. kind of surprising to me yes. but i think it's a good strategy that people want to hedge their bets for the future where uh, investors may want to at least get the cash flow and and not lose the value of their investments uh, at, at the same time you know you are getting the cash flow if you are in a second or tertiary midwest market you get 7 8 9% return on the money and your 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 value of the asset holds maybe it goes down be you know a couple of points here and there but you still hold the ma- the value so exactly. these these are the good points for at least next couple of years that i think that's what you are proposing and by the way what you are proposing is not based on your hunch it is based on the data that you have uh, derived you know all these correct. things are being derived from the data uh, approach that you have correct correct and it doesn't always uh, and to your point it's not it's not just based on hunch indeed because uh, it's not uh, in this case at all right because because actually it could divert from your intuition in some case so let's say um you know if we look at before gfc before global financial crisis new jersey let's say was actually overvalued to some extent like over 20% and had a decline of like around like 20 25% in the state of new jersey and let's say that's not a market that right now we would imagine it's desired right? it's like the least desired um real estate investment market and so or it's not a market it's a state but like let's say the various markets within it and so it's um but it was actually at that time at least you know with the um you know the excessive lending and so forth was actually um overvalued it just doesn't happen to be the case now now if we take the midwest and the northeast or california and they're 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 not if you actually go on computing um you know market valuations it's actually they're they're not overvalued and so <laughs> so that's kind of the situation but it doesn't always align with intuition it, had we been a little bit earlier in the market market cycle let's say to the beginning of 2020 even yuta was fairly valued it's mm-hmm. actually great great timing to invest then yeah even beginning of 2020 or denver colorado denver colorado was a top 5 performing city and it was at right at 0% at the beginning of covid in market valuation it was like fairly valued so that's um, again like it depends yeah it depends where we're in the market cycle it appears we're relatively forward now it's always hard to say like what timing like how far we out we are but yes from a capital preservation standpoint i would probably stay away from like well i would say six western states a little bit like i mean well the six states of um washington um idaho well idaho arizona uh, nevada utah um washington and uh, yeah i think i'm forgetting the sixth one right now <laughs> but um i mean uh yeah and um Colorado I guess you didn't mention Colorado yeah so so yeah. so that's um, yeah so that is kind of the perspective and pr- predominantly Idaho I think is like the biggest really the biggest risk um so other than that in most other places even in southern markets if you're let's say with a sponsor who is in Louisiana or in um, Alabama or you know that's relatively okay you know even Georgia is relatively okay even Georgia and the Carolinas are not so bad 
mm-hmm. just in comparison to let's say the western western yeah. state. Even yeah. if you're in like Atlanta, Georgia or something, it's it's also relatively okay. But they're really like capital preservation that's more like going to the Midwest and um and then the real real capital preservation would probably cause to no appreciation though. <laughs> On the other hand, would be if you go to um you know, like the Northeast. So that's kind of the, so the, the, there's definitely a counter, you know, counter correlation between appreciation. And at this moment, at the current moment, how big is your downside risk? Considering how far out we are already almost 12 years into this market cycle. So. Wow. Wow. Great, great nuggets, Stefan. I mean, Stefan comes from Bulgaria. He's, he's tech head, you know, too much technology and, he has built this company, Realty Quant. Definitely, you know, check it out, guys. And he has given us the nuggets over the next couple of years. You know, when you, when passive investors, you have listened, passive investors are willing to invest anywhere they want, right? But at the same time, there is some due diligence that is needed. And, and he, it's a very timely advice. You know, those who are coming into the market right now, they should potentially look for, uh, um, you know, operators who are, uh, in, not investing in Nevada or Idaho or in Colorado or California or Washington, uh, these states, I mean, potentially go for Midwest states. Uh, you know, if you go too much into, I mean, Georgia is still okay. As he said, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, they are still okay. Uh, Stephen, besides Realty Quant, what else do you do? I mean, just just tell us a little bit more because we, we will have only a few more minutes left for this. Yes, okay. I mean, I'm I'm an investor myself in um, the ground. Mostly, I do like projects around the New York City area. And I've been working at like out of state um, commercial multifamily syndications in the Midwest right mm-hmm. now. Um, so this is what I do. I'm I'm an investor. I, write like different other analytics on the property side also is something that I do. So I write like maybe like some algorithms and things. I try to do like modeling on the property side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I do now in my previous career. I was a financial engineer. So I used to uh, trade the uh, derivatives uh, for an insurance company. That was my job. So Okay. Okay. No, very good. Okay. I mean, uh, hopefully, you know, you are making out better now. I mean, uh, you are not working full time and, and, and I mean, same am I, I am also, I mean, I'm not working full time. I'm just doing real estate only. Um, although it used to be on the side, but I'm full time in real estate and, uh, you know, Stefan has given us so many golden nuggets, folks. Uh, you know, you have already heard a lot of benefits of passive investing, but today he talked about even while doing the passive investing, how to pick markets, you know, how to remain away from momentum markets. Uh, so that's a great insight. And and you all know where to find Stefan. I mean, um, you know, basically realtyquant.com. Um, any any final things, Stefan, you want to tell our uh, listeners? Um, no, I think that was great. Thanks, Prashant. Okay. And and what, I mean, you want to share your contact information besides uh, yes. your website? Yes. Yeah, so besides uh, my website, they can, I can be found on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel, Finance Meets Real Estate on YouTube. Awesome. Finance Meets Real Estate on YouTube is, is the Stefan's channel. By the way, I've been following you, Stefan. I mean, I know him for a couple of years now. Uh, we have talked many, many times and we try to become business partners still in the play. Uh, but overall, Stefan, thank you so much for your time. And hopefully our listeners will will get something out of this episode. And I'm sure some of them may contact you uh, if needed. 
Stefan, thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. As usual, you can reach me via my website www.myrealtygains.com and via email prashant at myrealtygains.com. I would love to hear from you and talk to you about specific needs you may have. Please schedule an appointment with me via my website again www.myrealtygains.com. Stay tuned for next podcast. This is Prashant Kumar signing off for today. 